Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and we are continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And so last week, uh, just as a bit of a recap, we looked back at the temptation of Jesus in the desert, and then we uh, saw the earliest parts of Jesus' ministry, the first disciples called, and then Jesus ministering to great crowds. That concluded chapter four. Now we will get to probably hands down the most famous sermon Jesus gives, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And we will probably spend a considerable amount of time looking at just the first 12 verses today. Uh, and then we might break it up and look at uh, verses 13 um, and on. But there is 48 verses in this chapter. So we might split it and do like 13 through you know, 26, and then we'll start with lust and carry out on uh, the next week. So I really haven't quite figured out if I want to split it even more or if we want to do, you know, five through um, 16 today and then pick up Christ came to fulfill the law at verse 17 and finish that out next week. We'll see how time gives us. But the focus for today's episode is going to be on the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, most importantly. And we will spend the next few weeks, no matter how we split it up, because we will have chapters 6 and 7 as well to work through uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount. So a lot of content and a lot of rich, rich, rich theology in these passages. So uh, before we dig into the episode, the only things I'd like to remind you of is check out the show notes below this show. And uh, if you'd like to join us on Patreon, there is a link there. If you'd like to join us uh, on Instagram, come follow me, hit me up. You'll be able to um, get into the IG chat or Discord chat if you're on Patreon with us, uh, as well as the Logos link. It's logos.com forward slash undying light. That's what I'm using now as I prepare the show. And anything else fitness related, f- feel free to ask me any questions. It's something that is a deep passion to me, uh, my health and my longevity. 
are uh, important, but they are not who I am. They are just merely a part of the routine that I set in the morning. So I get up at 5 a.m., get to the gym, work out, come home, get my daughter ready for school, take her to school, and then I start my work day. So working out is merely just another uh, part of the day, something that I enjoy doing, and it's a great way to um, stay in shape and and uh, be healthy. So uh that's that as always feel free to check out all the show notes there and see uh if there's anything that piques your interest feel free to dm me with questions about anything patron or logos or anything like that if you have skepticism or questions or anything or if you just uh, want to do a one-time giving but don't want to subscribe to patron you can also do that as well uh through acast will allow you to do it or you uh, you can just DM me and we can chat, but I don't really seek out that much uh, too often, mostly because uh, I'm this is not in it. I'm not in it for the money. I'm not in it to make my uh, millions of dollars like some of the radio hosts do, but I am here to preach the gospel, deliver the gospel, and provide incentives to those who want to help support this ministry as we are a listener-based uh, ministry. So uh, that being said, let's get into the Beatitudes, and it's kind of uh, uh, interesting, as I mentioned last week, I believe, uh, that this particular passage that we are going to be looking at was one that I had just preached a sermon on literally yesterday. And so as I am sitting here, I'm, I'm looking back at what I preached yesterday, and we'll probably be covering quite a bit of that content uh, in a more of a you know podcast form versus a sermon form. So we'll dig into some of the terms and meanings that we find in this passage, and then we'll unpack it and provide some different incentives. So uh, let's read the first 12 verses, and then we will see where time allows us to go. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's pause here, and we will uh, dig into these uh, very quickly. Um, but before we do, I do, I really want to kind of preference uh, this section of the Beatitudes with this. Uh, with a little bit of my history, if you would, uh, I was given the opportunity to preach this message uh, a, f- a handful of years ago, um, I, back in 2020, early 2020 or something like that. So it's been two, two and a half years ago. And uh, it would be, it had been before I had come to the church I'm at now. So it had been at a prior church. And I was looking at my notes and I was just... Uh, I was shell-shocked at how I approached that sermon. And if you are new to this show, obviously being a Lutheran, um, I steer away from delivering a lot of application, if you would, and 
trying to tell people how they should live their lives in order to receive X, Y, and Z blessing. And I made that sermon 100% law. There was no hope in it whatsoever. If you had listened to this sermon, you probably had left thinking, I am I am so unworthy of being a Christian after listening to that. There's no way I can live up to those expectations. I can't do it for five minutes. How do you expect me to live my life like this? And so I absolutely just was appalled. And interestingly enough, um, this, you know, working on the Beatitudes um, has taken a, a journey with me as well this summer. And I took a class on Christian ethics for seminary. And in the Christian ethics, now, again, remind you, I attend a Lutheran seminary. However, the Lutheran division that I'm a part of is a is a, uh, the child of a Baptist seminary. So the Baptist seminary is the all-inclusive seminary, and then different denominations have their tracks that they can work through, or you can take a standard Baptist track. So uh, I'm in the Lutheran, and uh, but I have to take a Christian ethics class, which is a fairly generic class for us to take. It just, you know, we just have to mark through some requirements, but interestingly enough, it is offered through the Baptist seminary and the book that they tell us to get is, you know, one that is on how one should live their life as a Christian. What are your ethics? How should they be? And the first handful of chapters were just all about the Beatitudes and how, uh, Christians ought to live their life based upon the Beatitudes. And that just threw up every red flag in my in my book because I'm looking at this. I'm like, there's no way that you can take this into the pulpit and preach to people about this. Now, if I was doing a teaching session or a podcast, for instance, I might be a little bit more uh, adverse at leaving you under the law a little bit because you should go to church on Sunday and hear the gospel. However... I do like to mix in uh, some law gospel distinction while explaining the text. And, and I hope that working through these gospel accounts here in Matthew, we uh, have done a, a fair enough job at, at taking you out of the rut that's in the um, text. But we haven't really gotten to hard, anything hard yet. Most of what we've talked about is the history in the early years of Jesus Christ. We haven't really gotten to his ministry except to today. And this is the first recorded teaching that we have of Jesus, the first sermon uh, in Matthew that we have. And so we, we know that he had called us some disciples. He had started his ministry. He had been ministering to, ministering to the sick and healing the sick and, and all of that as chapter four concludes. But now we get the first sermon recorded. And, you know, as I prepared this message, I reflected back uh, onto the, the prior sermon and this particular class, and I just real, just really sat and read through my notes and meticulously picked through them from, you know, the the outline or from the the introduction to to the conclusion, and looked at how I had taken all of these um, statements and made them into a prescription of how people can live their life. Like I literally handed them uh, these, do these things so you can be uh, pure at heart or you can mourn. Are you truly mourning over your sin? Uh, if you don't, then when will you ever seek comfort? Or are you meek? Are you lowly and humble? You know, do you put yourself last while putting everybody else forward? Because if so, then you will inherit the earth. And, 
you know, I mean, I made this whole list and it was just, it was terrible. And, and I, and I hope if you've been listening to the show long enough, you'll, you'll realize, um, and, and, and I'm not, I hate to be the self examiner of it, but this really humbled me. You know, this, this really took me back to a moment of saying, I have to do better for my church. I have to do better for my podcast. I have to do better for my, uh, for my people. And I, I really spent a lot of time just kind of gnawing over this passage for Sunday. And I did, you know, my couple of days of research and I did an afternoon of writing and then um, submitted it to the patrons and let them read through it and get some insight and perspective from them. And, and uh, you know, it, it really, I think, pays off to see the drastic change that God has done through me. Uh, and has allowed me to realize my mistakes in the past. And thankfully, he is merciful enough to give us that blessing of being able to correct those. And I, I feel so terrible for the congregation that had to sit under that sermon. I do. I feel terrible for all the previous churches that I've worked at because I feel like I, you know, did a disservice by preaching nothing but law and nothing but you know, application, like do these things and you'll be a Christian. And it's like, that's not the gospel. That's not how Jesus preached. It's not how Paul or Peter or anybody preached. It's not about doing these things. It's you have been set free. You have been given new life. You have been given a new destination. And that is the new heavens and the new earth. And because of your freedom now from sin, death, and the devil, you can go forward and live your life in accordance to the scripture. You can actually obey Jesus now. You can turn and live through the Beatitudes. You can turn and live through all of the commands that Jesus gives and everything that Paul calls us to. It won't be perfect and it won't be all the time, but you can certainly strive towards it. But that's the freedom you have. It's not about your justification being evaluated or changed or edited due to your performance. You are justified once, in your faith of Christ. The sanctification is that ongoing process that where we become you know, more aware of our sinful state, more aware of the justification that Christ gives us and allows us to really evaluate and see our life in the fashion of, am I doing the things that Christ has called me to do? Do I truly believe this in my heart and am I demonstrating it f- for, for other people to witness? That's what sanctification really boils down to. So I felt terrible, and I even made the, the opening statement in my sermon yesterday about how uh, I had really botched the previous time I used this passage, and I had let, uh, you know, left those people under the law. I'd given the, you know, these are uh, ways that you can, you can earn rewards in heaven. These are things that you can do to be recognized, and these are, uh, here are the steps to, to meet that. Here are the things that you can do. So uh, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach to the Beatitudes. We're not going to look at them as a manner of how can we achieve something, but a manner of what do they really say? And, and I think it helps us to paint this picture that Jesus is opening this with these statements, and he's giving us the reality of what the new heavens and the new earth will look like. He is he's explaining that these are the people he has come to save 
those who mourn in their sin, those who are poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst for righteous, the, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the meek, those persecuted because of his name, all of those people, that is who Jesus came. And I even said, you know, in the um, sermon yesterday, quoting another passage from Jesus, that he didn't come to save the righteous, but he came to save the sinner. The doc, uh, the healthy person doesn't need to go to the doctor, but the sick person does. The sick person needs to see a physician. And these are those people, those who are blessed here. They uh, recognize their sinful state or they recognize that Christ is you know, the only savior for them. And because of that, plus their sinful state, they would essentially qualify, if you would, for whatever these rewards will be, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. So let's look at this passage um, a little bit closer and hopefully I can help explain some of these things from my perspective and maybe give you a little bit of a different insight into uh, these these statements. So uh, we start with Jesus here seeing the crowds. Now, mind you, there's not really much of a time gaps given. Uh, Jesus ministers to great crowds and he is, you know, the great crowds followed him as going back to chapter four, verse 25, the great crowds followed him from Galilee to Decapolis and from Jerusalem to Judea and then from, uh, and then from beyond the Jordan. And so now Jesus sees these great crowds and he goes up on the mountain. And so he separates himself from this, but we do also know that some heard his teaching. His disciples came to him. So the, the mountain is mostly unknown and, uh, we don't quite pinpoint where he is given this sermon. Uh, and many theologians would even depict that it wasn't necessarily like a mountain, like we think like Mount Everest, but it was probably uh, a rocky hillside with that, you know, goes up high and, uh, could technically be classified as a mountain, but it had, you know, uh, steps or platforms that one could go up and stand on and teach down to people. And so Jesus is essentially trying to elevate himself here and, or, you know, while doing that, he's also trying to separate himself because his ministry is very focused right now on his disciples. So we also know that mountains are used for significant events we see here uh, the sermon on the mount we'll see the mount uh the mountain again for the transfiguration we turn back to the old testament and we see that mount sinai was significant and mountains have been used uh extensively throughout the old testament as a significant place of events and i even think i heard somebody maybe a few months ago um quoting or, or trying to debate the fact that uh, the Garden of Eden uh, would have been on a uh, uh, mountainside. It would have been elevated outside of the rest of the world. So, interesting little notes there. But now we have the Sermon on the Mount. It's the first of five major sermons or discourses in Matthew. Uh, so we have chapter 10, then we have chapter 13, chapter 18, and then 24 through 25 as being our significant sermon points. So the sermon before us uh, is according to Augustine. Uh, the sermon before us is perfect in all precepts by which Christian life is molded. So what we will dig into, this is, this is a perfect example 
of what the Christian life is like. And, and it's a demonstration of the reality that we face. And so uh, as we sit down and as we unpack this, we will see that Jesus has given us a description of the new heavens and the new earth. This is what he came to present. These are the people who came to seek, save, and free. And these are the people that will be blessed in the new heavens and new earth. I also made the statement too, because it's not uh, explicitly mentioned here in this text, that those who may not fall into these categories, but still believe in Jesus, will still be blessed. But Jesus is calling out, these are the people that I have truly come to seek. And I also made the equating notion that these statements stand in contrast to the world because the world sees wealth and good looks and fit people and determining workers and hard workers, all of those things as being blessed. You win the lottery, you're blessed. You um, have a good job and you make lots of money. You have a nice house, a nice car, you're blessed. You have a great family and all the sorts, you're blessed, right? You wear nice clothes, all the sorts, right? It just, the list goes on and on. It's all about monetary gain, temporal blessings. And, you know, you hear it in the false preachers even today, touting these messages of, you know, Jesus wants, or God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be, you know, rich and, and fulfilled and all this stuff and yada, yada, yada. And it just gets old and old and old. But what they promise just as the world is promising is temporal blessings. Those things will rot and decay away over time. What Jesus is telling us here in these uh, verses is a, a eternal blessing, one that has significant worth to it, one that is, it, there's nothing greater than these blessings, these rewards. And so uh, it helps us understand that distinction and another reason why uh, these individuals are usually marked here in this passage because it doesn't, it's not a, um, an, an exhaustive list of those who, you know, somber through this life, but it's a broad covering of many elements to the life. So he sits down, uh, his disciples came to him, the rabbi sitting, uh, typically to teach. So that is not an uncommon, uh, event here. And the, um, disciples come to him and he sits down and preaches. And so the, uh, Greek word for is mathetatus. It's a learner or apprentice. This is common in the gospels and acts, but it's never used in the epistles. Uh, often means the 12 called apostles, as we'll see in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, but also means a larger group of adherents. The feminine form also appears, uh, and that will come up in Acts 9.36, but here the term includes four fishermen, as we go back to chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, plus others from the crowds who responded to the call of Jesus to repent. So, again, this isn't a remark of all 12 apostles are with him yet. He is, he's got the four that he's called plus a greater crowd of people who have heard his call to repent. So he opens this statement. He opens his mouth and starts teaching blessed are and blessed is, you know, a, a wonderful statement to give us here. Jesus begins his sermon by nine times declaring his disciples blessed because what God has done and has in store for them. Jesus is not making ethical demands of his followers, but describing blessings that will fully enjoy in the new heaven and the new earth. 
Beatitudes are a common literary form found throughout Scripture. So, with that in mind, that falls in suit to what I've been saying because it helps us to see that these are not ethical statements. These are not demands that you must fulfill in order to be a Christian. These are the reality. These are truth and factual statements that Jesus is giving about uh, the kingdom of heaven. And also, we have that already but not yet factoring in here. We have the already, the, bla- the, the statement being given, the promise being given, the reality now taking place, but the not yet comes because the fulfillment of these blessings, the fulfillment of the reward, doesn't come until the new heavens and the new earth come. So let's look at some of these blessed statements here. Blessed are the poor, uh, the poor in spirit, the spiritually poor. They acknowledge their moral bankruptcy. They have the proclamation of being a sinner. Uh, they hear Christ calling for uh, the need to repent, and so they follow him. They realize that they have been disobedient, and now they are seeking a means to which uh, Christ can deliver them. And so that is the uh, the statement that he starts us off with. These are the people who acknowledge their 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 sinful state. Uh, the possession given to them here, the uh, kingdom of heaven. This is the promise, the reward, and we see that even now the disciples can, or believers really for that matter, can uh, appreciate and enjoy this particular blessing. Um, the kingdom of heaven gives us essentially so many things, even on earth, while we don't get to enjoy the new heavens and new earth. We have the acknowledgement of eternal life. We have the resurrected body promised to us. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have peace, joy, and happiness within Christ. And so, so many things uh, come to us just from the acknowledgement of that. So tied very close to poor in spirit are those who mourn. This isn't people who have lost families and or relatives and uh, or have had misfortune and bad luck. Uh, while they do mourn and it is tragic, this particular uh portion here is these people are those who mourn over their sin so they realize their moral bankruptcy they mourn over their sin and they they're comforted by christ and so the comfort from the messiah brings them to fully realize what the that comfort will look like in heaven and so they might deal with troubles and trials and tribulations here on earth but in heaven they will have that full reward of comfort. They will have no more pain. There will be no more sin, no more death. They will be fully comforted. So I also always like to add to that the mourning over sin isn't just a you know a quick little gallop and say okay yeah I I did some, I did a boo boo you know as the Joel Osteen preaching is uh, but it is truly acknowledging we are sinful. We are truly sinful beings. And I, I like the, the parable that Jesus gives in, in the Gospel of Luke with the Pharisee and the tax collector. This The tax collector falls right into this. He stands in the temple far off to the side, beats on his chest, crying out for God to be merciful to him. This is a man who is mourning over his sin. Well, meanwhile, the Pharisee is being pompous and arrogant in his statement thank you god that i'm not like these other people 
And so that separates the two. And so we see that the, the two dynamics, the one who mourns over their sin and the other who is pompous and arrogant. So great little uh, parable to read. I preached a sermon on it a few weeks ago. It's up on our YouTube channel for the church if you're interested in listening to it. All right, so uh, we talked about mourning over sin. The meek, lowly, and humble, these are those who, again, acknowledge their sin. They know their moral bankruptcy, uh, and they live a servant life. They live to serve others. They do not put themselves first. They seek to be you know, last, if you would. And so... And it is not because they do it out of selfish ambition or selfish intents. It's just merely that this is the you know what Christ has placed on their heart, and this is how they live their lives. So they will inherit the earth, but this isn't this earth that we live in currently, because this earth will be destroyed. It'll be pushed away, brushed aside, demolished, and replaced by the new heavens and the new earth. That is what the meek will inherit. They will inherit the new heavens and the new earth with their new bodies on the day of the Lord, the last day, the day of the resurrection. All right, verse 6. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and this is a fervent desire for God's righteousness or salvation to take place. Uh, This is a throwing back to Isaiah 51, verses 5 through 8. And Luther says this on the passage. We have clear assurance that God does not cast aside sinners, that is, those who recognize their sin and desire to come to their senses, who thirst for righteousness. So these individuals, again, tying back to the previous three statements, they all have the same, you know, they, they kind of seem to be building upon each other here, and the hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who uh, desire for God's will to be done amongst all people. So these are uh, you could probably say you're missionaries. These are those who um, seek out to preach the gospel to the whole world. And I've seen some people, uh, some commentaries and some, uh, I use the air quotes theologians, uh, to describe that this the, the hunger and thirst for righteousness isn't necessarily the right way we should read this text, but it's hungering and thirsting for justice, for social justice. And then they go on and tout a whole bunch of crap. So we have to be very careful with how we read these passages and how we apply them, that this is not about a social reform. This is about preaching of the gospel. Verse 7, the merciful. Uh, Very straightforward, those who have mercy upon others, even when it is not deserved, the disciple who truly appreciates God's blessing will be a merciful person, and they will receive mercy. So the merciful, again, as I mentioned, is somebody who is uh, will, will essentially give a free pass to somebody that doesn't deserve it. They will be merciful to them. They will withhold judgment. They will withhold their wrath. They will show them kindness, compassion, and love. Verse 9, pure in heart. Uh, this is an interesting one. This is pointing us towards those who do not worship false gods. Augustine says this, a pure heart is a single heart. And just as this light cannot be seen except with pure eyes, so neither is God seen, unless that is pure by which he cannot see. So we know that this is um, those who have not turned their attentions to idols and turned their attention to serving false gods. And even in today's modern world, those false gods are money, wealth, um, 
the the uh, possessions that we have in this world. So it it it, it can be in many different things. It's not, it doesn't just have to be you know Buddha or Muhammad or any of the false major gods in other religions, but it could be things that we can tangibly touch in this world, such as wealth and our appearance, our clothes, the houses that we live in, the cars that we drive, all that sort of stuff. Those can be seen as uh, gods in our eyes. And even though we may not be bowing down to worship to them, we put our desire to accumulate more of that material ahead of understanding who God is. All right, the peacemakers. Uh, Jesus sends out his disciples um, to bring peace to those who are worthy. This will happen in chapter 10. Um, they will be called sons of God. The son of God is named the Prince of Peace. Those who trust in him are blessed by God's sons and daughters. Uh, They're blessed by being God's sons and daughters. The peacemakers is not something that you go out and actively strive for. You're not going to you know, end all of the wars in the world. You're not going to end struffle, or truffles and skiffs and scuffs and all that stuff. That's a little tongue twister, and it's probably not even the right words there. But the peacemaker is not somebody who goes out and fixes social reform. They're not the justice workers, as a lot of theologians, modern theologians, like to try and squeeze into. These people are knowing that the Son of God has brought them peace in this world. They finally can rest knowing that their sins have been forgiven. They're at peace with it. They have finally found the person who will deliver to them the gospel. They have finally found the person who will deliver to them the promises, and they can rest knowing that they are secure in the hands of God. So the persecutor for righteous sake, Jesus later warns his uh, disciples that he sends out as peacemakers those who will be persecuted, as again in noted in chapter 10 augustine says this where there is no sound faith there can be no righteousness for the right or the righteous the just man lives by faith so where there is no righteousness there is no faith where there is no sound faith there can be no righteousness and i think it pays us well to know that jesus has promised numerous times that people will be persecuted you will be persecuted for being a Christian. That's just how it's going to come. It doesn't mean that you will be constantly persecuted. It could possibly be that. Some have in the past been captured, tortured, and have died just for being a Christian. Uh, There's many today who live a life of fear because if they get turned into authorities, they could experience uh, persecution and torture and, and potentially death. Obviously, that's happening in other countries, but we, we know that the persecuted, for righteous sake, for standing for the gospel, for preaching the gospel, that is exactly what Jesus warns us here. Uh, but he warns us again throughout the rest of his ministry that people will hate you. And he tells us that here in the next verse, in verse, 12, uh, verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So he he says, blessed are nine times. And then the final one is, blessed are you. Jesus spoke the first Beatitudes using a third person, they. And in the final one, he addresses his disciples directly 
using the second person, you, for emphasis. He continued by using you until 7.13 on my account. For Christ's disciple troubles are not always punishments for certain past deeds. They are, but they are God's works intended for our benefit and that God's power might be made more apparent in our weakness. So again, we are, we are told, promised that we will experience persecution, not explicitly here in this passage, but in, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? (laughs) Implicitly. Is that even a word? Probably not. Um, we're not explicitly told here in this text, but it is implied and we see it promised elsewhere, especially when we get to one of the later, uh, discords of Jesus, uh, this, the, uh, eschatology, this Olivet discourse where Jesus tells us the promises of the end of times. When I leave, these things will then happen and you will be persecuted. You'll be hated. You'll be turned over, um, because people hate you. You will experience pain, persecution, death. In fact, every one of his disciples experiences death, uh, except John who dies of natural age, but John was persecuted and tortured and suffered immensely later in his life. So a lot of uh, good stuff here, but let's talk really quickly about the rewards. So obviously we're going to be stopping at verse 12, but I want to talk about these rewards really quick. Um, these rewards are not crowns. They're not like, you know, you get a bigger room, your bed's going to be a little softer or you get nicer clothes in heaven. These rewards are, are exactly what are listed here. The, they will inherit the new heavens and new earth. They will be comforted from their sin. They will have the kingdom of God given to them. They will receive mercy in heaven. They will be satisfied of their hungers and thirsts for righteousness because they will see the work uh, that they have done with their hands in this world come to fruition in the next. They will be called sons and daughters of God. That is all believers. And so for the Christian, the peacemaker is a great means for us to kind of look at because, you know, being in Christ, we have his peace given to us. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. We don't have to worry about the politics going on in the world. We don't have to worry about wars and famines and all that. We're at peace. And we understand that whatever happens is because God is determined and said so. So, Uh, The reward is not some sort of monetary gain or anything in this world. It is all about eternity, salvation, forgiveness of sins, the resurrected body, the kingdom of heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. Those are the rewards. And that, I think, is the greatest promise we can take out of this passage. It's not about us doing good deeds and getting some stuff. It is about Christ doing these things for us, to us, and through us. And because of that, we receive the the greatest blessing of all, the greatest reward. That's eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and, sal- and the resurrected body. So that's going to stop today's episode. We're at the end of the track. Uh, we will pick up next week with verse 13. So we will spend a little bit of time probably working through the rest of the text here. And we'll see how far we get in chapter 5 again. Uh, because these three chapters are one f- flowing uh, sermon, we might bleed a little into the next chapter or, or you know, see how that kind of falls. So we probably will trunk it up in to see how the, the, the sections like fit well, depending on the time. Obviously, I don't want to go over 40 minutes. That's my goal. These are a little bit longer episodes than what we've done in the past. But with doing one episode a week, 40 minutes, I don't think is a bad trade off. So. 
Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. It is Friday, so by the time you listen to this, I hope it is before Sunday. So get your butt to church and and worship, and uh, I hope you can partake in the sacraments if you're able to. Otherwise, uh, rest knowing that Christ has forgiven us of our sins, and he has come to us and delivers that promise personally to us. So the greatest thing we can ever hope for in this life is Jesus Christ. And so with that, I will end today's show. I hope you guys have uh, enjoyed this series thus far. I've really loved going through Matthew more in depth. And I hope that you guys continue to listen and sharing this out with other people. So please, by all means, share it with anybody you can and leave us reviews and remarks and all that sort of stuff on whatever platform you listen to it. So that way elevates our rankings and gets us more visibility for other people to hear this message. So get to church on Sunday and I hope you guys have a great weekend. God bless. We'll see you all later. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.